0: Thank you, Nancy. And Brother Garrett, please be turning to Luke chapter ten. Luke chapter ten, we'll begin verse twenty-five. One of the most familiar of parables. Luke chapter ten. While you're turning, uh, last Wednesday was Valentine's Day, and. This is news to uh, some of you guys here, uh, <laughs> it's a problem. If you're just now hearing this, uh, which probably you're not, what, what's Valentine's Day all about? Uh, you know, we, we look at it, of course, it's a, it's a big holiday. Uh, it was first observed, understand, Valentine's Day was first observed as a, as a feast, February the 14th, somewhere around the 700s. Some people say as early as the 400s because you have to to weed through a lot of the ancient writings, but it's honoring a Saint Valentine. Saint Valentine, of course, was recognized as a saint uh, by the Catholic Church. Who was this guy? He was a priest, actually, uh, that ministered in the 200s. So that was quite early in the history of the early church. Uh, he lived in the early and mid-200s, uh, and he was martyred for his faith. Now, the legend of St. Valentine, as well as what started our tradition, uh, is while he was in prison awaiting his martyrdom, there was a, a patch of uh, violets growing outside of his cell, and he could reach those. They had heart-shaped leaves on them, and he would take a, a little pen, and he would, he would scratch little messages to his loved ones. And they said, of course, part of the other part of the story is while he was uh, in prison, he would write little messages of love and encouragement to fellow believers to encourage them to keep the faith. There's where we get the uh, holiday of, uh, of course, exchanging Valentine's Day cards and expressions of love. Now, somewhere in the 1300s, the Feast of St. Valentine's Day was expanded instead of just a feast to honor this man uh, to include, it was a celebration about love. And of course, throughout the history of our country, you know, it's developed into uh, the day that we uh, observe, that's do with flowers and balloons and Valentine's Day cards and that sort of thing. So... Uh, In recognition of uh, Valentine's Day, we really need to have a a discussion about love and some some important things to consider about love, Uh, some, some real facts about love. What's the Bible say about love? And that's where we start with this particular text in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? He answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he Wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? He said, he who showed mercy on him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for true love. We thank you for love, and we know that love is a gift from you. And Father, as we explore some things about love, we ask you to show us the truths from your words. We need to hear from you today whatever burden, anxiety, care or worry or need. We ask that would be addressed from your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. (laughs) The lawyer asked the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Have to understand he was talking about possibly salvation. We know that. Uh, but we have to realize to get the full meaning of what we'll be talking about today, the question he asked was not eternal as in time, but when everlasting life and eternal life is mentioned in the New Testament times, especially when people were questioning Jesus about it, the Jewish idea of eternal life had to do with fulfilling life, not just eternal and full when it came to uh, time, but what shall I do to have a meaningful life, to, try, to, to find full, sure fulfillment in life, that life would be satisfying and full? What can I do to live this kind of life? And, of course, he said, what, what do you read in the law? And then he said this in verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The first thing we need to understand is this. Loving each other, loving each other is a specific instruction. And it's instruction from God. This man was quoting two passages of Scripture from the Old Testament. You know the passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 6 through about 8, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, strength, and mind. He was quoting that. That was instruction from God. And then he quoted Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where it says specifically in the law you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we have to understand What he said had been earlier endorsed by Jesus himself. Back in the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 28, it said a certain scribe stood up and said, well, Jesus, just tell us. What's the most important of all commandments? Just tell us. And Jesus said, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second one is like this. You will love your neighbor as yourself. He said on these two commandments hang all of the law and profit. It can all be summed up to this. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So we understand love is an instruction from God. Love is God's idea. But now we have to pay attention to the original language. We have one word for love. The Greeks actually had three words for love, and it's important to know this. There were three words for love, and it's three types of love, and we can, we can recognize them very clearly in our own society. First word was eros, and that's where we get the word for romantic love, and that's pretty much what St. Valentine's Day, uh, of course, celebrates, uh, the romantic love and between a man and a woman and uh, the love that you just fall into. Uh, that's, of course, that word. But then there's another word, phileo, and that means brotherly love. That's when love may graduate from just romantic love into a deep friendship, soulmate type of love. Brotherly love, phileo, that's where you get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It is mentioned over and over in the Bible. Let brotherly love continue, that we have a love and a care for each other and this is, of course, the friendship love and the, the, what we would call the neighborly love. And we know this. But then there's another word. There's another word, agape. Agape is self-sacrificing love. Agape is godly love, a love that reflects the heart of God. This is the word that Jesus used. And this is the word that the Bible used when Jesus quoted these passages. He used the word agape. You will love the Lord with an agape love, a self-sacrificing, ultimate love. And you will love your neighbor as yourself with the same kind of love. So we can call this, quite accurately, true love. You shall love your neighbor with true love. I know we talk about true love, and everybody wants to find true love. You have the song, the song I can remember, the country song. You're looking for love in all the wrong places because you're looking for true love. That's that other kind of love. When it comes to true love, and remember, what shall I do to experience fulfilled life? How can I live a life that's satisfying and fulfillment and enriching? How can I find purpose in life? And Jesus said, you'll find it in true love. True love, agape love. So remember that. When we talk about true love, we're talking about this kind of love. So, true love is an instruction. That brings me to the second point, and this is important. True love Agape is a choice. Now, how do we get that? You will love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that is an instruction. Now, I have a choice. Am I going to do that or not? It is an act of will. It is not based on a feeling. It is not dependent on if I feel like I'm in love. It is not dependent on favorable circumstances or convenient situation to love, or it is easy to love this person. Love is a choice. True love is a choice. Don't forget that. If we miss that, we've missed everything. True love is a choice. We choose how we will respond to the instruction to love God and love others. Third thing about true love you probably knew this was coming if you heard me preach any at all. True love, agape love, is irreplaceable. There's no substitute for it. There's absolutely no substitute for it. There's an Old Testament passage and a New Testament. I want to start with the New Testament passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, to give you a, uh, a little, get you up to speed here, uh, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, it seems like the Corinthians, uh, were, they were arguing about who had the most important spiritual gift. Paul was going through some of the spiritual gift, and some of them happened to think that their spiritual gift was more important than another spiritual gift, so therefore whatever spiritual gift they had was more valuable. Now isn't that a spiritual attitude to have in church? That's exactly what was going on. And what he did is said, you would desire the best gifts, but he said, and I'm going to show you the most excellent way. This is the last verse of chapter 12. And then he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, that word there is true love, agape love, and have not love, I think the king james says charity but it's the same greek word love i have become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal if i could have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge though i have a faith that can remove mountains but have not love i am nothing though i bestow all my goods to feed the poor though i give my body to be burned and have not love it profits me nothing And we'll just sum it up this way where we can understand it. There's no amount of talent, no amount of intelligence, no amount of of understanding, no amount of even giving that surpasses the value of true love in our hearts. Now, let me turn that coin around because I believe that's what Paul was trying to say. The absence of true love, the choice to love, The absence of true love in our hearts renders all of our talents, all of our possessions, all of our prestige, all of our promotions, all of our abilities, and all of our accomplishments, all of these are disappointing and empty without true love in our hearts. We look, of course, in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 17, and we read the Old Testament equivalent. It's a little bit shorter and to the point. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 17. Solomon summed up, of course, what the Apostle Paul expounded on, but let's look at it. Chapter 15 of Proverbs, verse 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Herbs, just vegetables out of the garden, but basically seasoning. So you crunch up all the basil and rosemary and oregano and just stir that up, and that's what's for supper. He said, man, you could eat that with love. And you're better off than if you had smoked brisket with all the trimmings without love. Now, the verse before that, closely related to it, I believe they go together. Better is little with fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. You see, fear of the Lord is reverence and honor and worship of God, therefore loving God with all my heart. Better is little with agape love toward God than great treasure with trouble. This probably, of course, exposes a far greater problem in our society today. You sum up both of these passages of Scripture. If we neglect true love, if we neglect true love to pursue wealth, possessions, or prestige, we neglect true love and even gain all of these things in our pursuit, we've made a losing deal. We've made a losing deal. True love is irreplaceable. There is no substitute to finding true meaning in life. And again, finding love is not experiencing love in just the right person that stumbles into our life. Finding love is not finding love in someone else, but true love is expressing godly love to others. Not in someone else, but we find love when we express it to others. Now, when we look at the true nature of true love, it's going to reveal some problems. It's going to reveal some problems. Back to the passage of Scripture that we just read. Remember, this man was asking, what can I do to have a real life? What can I have to do to find true fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness in life? What's wrong with my life? Where can I find the joy in life? And Jesus told him, You would think he would have been celebrating. I found it. I I know what's going on. But look in verse 29. But he willing to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, when we look at true love and really begin to understand true love, it reveals some very ugly problems in the human heart. He had a real problem with true love after Jesus told him, this is what it's going to take. And it's common to all. And here's the biggest problem with true love. And this man saw it. And if we're honest, sometimes we see it too. Number one is this. True love, agape love, knows no boundaries. See, obviously, he had trouble because he wanted to say, all right, Jesus, you're going to tell me the boundaries. You're telling me to love my neighbor as myself Who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? You turn that coin around, you know what he was saying? Who is it okay that I don't love? Who can I not love? That's what he was asking. You show me the limits. And we realize agape love, godly love, knows no boundaries. This man was a lawyer. Now, when we talk about a lawyer, he was. Not just an attorney, he was an expert in the law, God's law. God's law was very plain. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse 29, it says this quite clearly. You will love the stranger. The stranger. That quite literally means the alien. Look in Leviticus, it goes even further. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33, and we realize this man would have known this. He was an expert in the law. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33. If a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. Listen to this. You will love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What he's saying is, okay, you remember who's telling you this? You have a stranger that's dwelling in your land. You'll love him as yourself. Now, the fact that he's a stranger, and that word there means an a, a alien or a foreigner. The fact that he was a foreigner meant he's not like you. He's dwelling in your land. He's from a different culture. And if he was dwelling, of course, in the Hebrew land and considered a foreigner, he was of a different race. He probably talked a different language. He looked different. He was different. And he says you will love the stranger. As yourself. This man knew that. And then he has the nerve to say, All right, Jesus, tell me who my neighbor is. In other words, who's in this category, but more or less what he wants to know, who's not in the category. You see, that caused a problem. And even people who are like us sometimes aren't lovable. But true love knows no boundaries because Jesus took it one step further. You think this man had a problem? with what the law had to say look at what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 5 verse 43 and many of you know what's coming Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, that hate your enemy is not in God's word. Love your neighbor is. But that's what, of course, they were saying. It's okay to hate your enemy, but love your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemies. Now, wait a minute. Let's stop. Did, Did he just say what I thought he said? Yeah, he just said it. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. He makes this sun shine on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect or complete even as your father is perfect or complete. Let your love be complete like your father's love is complete. Love your enemy. So true love knows no boundaries. First problem. True love also is expressed by actions. Past description, 1 John 3, verse 16. John, of course, picked up On Jesus' message of love. And in the book of John and all of his letters, he deals with love very, very explicitly. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, by this we know love because he laid down his uh, life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let us not love in theory or in speech, but let us love in practice and sincerity. In other words, true love is more than just saying, I love you. True love is showing love by how we treat others. If you remember Back to loving the stranger that is in your gates. Two different times it says, you shall neither mistreat nor oppress the stranger. That's found in the book of Leviticus chapter 19 and also the book of Exodus chapter 22, verse 21. You love the stranger in your gate and you don't mistreat him. In other words, your love will be seen by how you treat those people around you. True love, agape love, In practice and in actions reflects the heart of God. Back to the stranger. Man, we just can't leave that stranger alone. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 17. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. It's an important principle. We want to turn there and maybe give that passage of Scripture a mark. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing, Therefore, love the stranger. You are strangers in the land of Egypt. Did you get what it said? God loves the stranger. Therefore, you love the stranger. You see, when we're willing to have God's principles in our lives, we will love like God loves, and God's love knows no boundaries. Did you get what he's saying? He knew they'd find it hard to love the stranger. So he said, you remember the Lord your God, God of all gods, Lord of all lords, he loves the stranger. If we're going to follow him, you love the stranger. You see, sometimes we have problems with this. Here's the most significant issue of all. Our problem with true love. It's not a problem with the people around us. If I'm having problems with this issue of true love, my problems with God. If I have a trouble loving others, I have trouble in my relationship with God. Where do we find that? 1 John chapter 4. Way back in the back again. First John, First Chapter Four, Verse Twenty. First John, Chapter Four, Verse Twenty. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? This is the commandment we have from him. He who loves God must love his brother also. Is there there any reason to have to explain that? I believe it's pretty self-explanatory. We all understand that. We can sing and sing, oh, how I love Jesus. But, oh, if we have hatred for a person or a group of people, he says, we're lying. If we can't love what we can see, how can we say we love God that we that we don't see? He says, think about it, brethren. He said, therefore, the principle is this. If we love God, we love our brothers. That tells me this. If I have a problem loving others, the problem's not with my love for others as much as it is My love for God. Remember the two commandments are put together. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those are not just two distinct commandments. The second commandment depends upon what we're willing to do with the first commandment. And what we're willing to do with the first commandment will affect how we follow the second commandment. You see, love is a choice of what we're going to do with what God tells us to do. This is some hard stuff. You might say, you don't understand. You don't understand the people that, the people are so unloving. They're so unlovable. They're so mean. I've been hurt. How can I love my enemy that's hurt me so much? And what, what you're saying is just totally impossible. Ah, now we're catching on. It is impossible without a relationship with God. It is impossible. But let me tell you this, true love is possible, but it's possible because of God. Romans chapter 5, that's where we'll begin to wrap up. Romans chapter 5, several verses we want to read here. Before you write yourself off and say, I just can't love like you're telling me to love, you just don't understand, it's all in my culture, you don't understand this whole business of the the strangers in the gate, the illegal aliens, the political stuff that's going on, the racial things we've been steeped in all of our lives, and sometimes the personal things, the people have done you wrong, and all the unlovable people that surround us. It is impossible with all that until we look at this passage. Romans chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 1, but we want to zero in on one little phrase. Therefore, having justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing the tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, we concentrate a lot of times on the progress of trials, but let's look at that last phrase. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts. You remember Several weeks ago, we talked about being a clay jar and God makes the clay jar and then he fills it with the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, he put something else in there too. It says, The love of God has been poured out into our hearts. I believe the King James says it's been shed abroad. Well, I had to look that up. I said, well, There's got to be a message there, and there is a message there. The Greek word is a very strong word. And Greek scholar Kenneth Weest says in his commentary on this passage of Scripture, here's the best way to read this. The love of God has been poured into our hearts and still floods them. It doesn't just pour just enough into our hearts. It says he's flooding our hearts. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around a flood. You know what a flood is? More than enough water. And if he's pouring and flooding our hearts with his love, that means there's, there's more than our hearts can hold. You remember the 23rd Psalm? My cup runs over. Well, what's it running over with? It talks about how God has given us a fulfilled life, a purposeful life, a life that's filled up and running over with satisfaction and joy and happiness, but also there's something else there The love of God is flooding our hearts and is flooding our hearts that my heart can't hold it all and it's all just spilling around on the people around me. That's the message of this passage. We can love others because it's God's love being poured into our heart and then splashing around on everybody around us. That's the message of true love is God's love more than enough and so it's just running out of my life to everybody I meet. That's the principle of true love. That's only possible because it's God's love being poured in here, not something that I can muster. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. And then Paul reveals right here, there is a greater love. Look Close in verse 6. When we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died on the cross, not for his friends, but for the enemies of God, which is us. Because we're sinners. We're sinners. Now, we're unlovable in human terms. We're unloving in practical experience. And God loved us anyway. And the agape love is he loved us enough. Jesus Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Much more than being justified by his blood, we'll be saved from wrath through him. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God for the death through the death of his son. Much more being reconciled will be saved by his life. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend, than Jesus said, Let me show you one love better than that. I'll lay down my life for my enemies. And he did. He laid down his life for us. That's agape love. That's beyond our ability to understand. That's beyond our ability to muster up. But how do we love this way? Well, God starts pouring his love into our heart, and he doesn't stop. He doesn't just fill it up and say, there you go. Hey, the love of God is free refills. I love it. Just refill after refill. He just keeps filling me up. So the man said, how can I experience true, eternal, everlasting, enjoyable, satisfying, joyful life? How can I experience that? And Jesus said, true love, agape love. And remember, love's a choice. We have the choice what you'll do with the love of God, what you'll do with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have that choice. You have the choice then what we will do with Loving others. We have that choice. Love is not something we just fall into when the feeling's right. True love is a choice. As we prepare for an invitation to him, where are you with the Lord? He died for sinners. He died so you can have eternal life. Do you? Do you know Christ? Do you know the eternal life through trusting in Jesus and making him your Savior? Do you know that? Perhaps you're here and you say, well, I've been saved for a long time, but my life is pretty empty right now. How can I fill it up? Well, we have the answer right there. Who is it we're having trouble loving? Jesus doesn't have trouble loving them. Let the love of God pour into our hearts. There's something you need to make right with God today. Why don't we settle it? He loves you too much for you to leave here troubled. As we stand and sing, what number?